Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. We'll be in chapter 1 and we'll read verses 40 through 45. Again, that's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Hear now from the Word of God. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us go to him in a moment of prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, we encounter today in Scripture, in, the, in, in Jesus' ministry, again, he's in the early stages of ministry still at this point, we encounter Jesus with an unclean man who's unclean because he has leprosy. Now, before we go into this, there's a bit about leprosy uh, we should understand. It, it kind of it helps make it uh, a fuller understanding. And so, if, if you've ever seen a person or a picture of a person full of leprosy, it is something you simply cannot ever unsee. And so, I'm not going to go into details of exactly what that looks like today. You all have smartphones. If you, if you, if you get a little bored enough, you can turn them on, Google pictures yourself, or when you get home and your stomach's right, you can look then at that time. But leprosy, what we know about leprosy is, in fact, that it's a slow-growing disease. And it begins first, not on the outward appearance. It doesn't begin with the scales and the deformities and the scabs and all over the body. It begins first by numbing nerves, right? And it creates for the person a painless hell. You can imagine that for a moment, a painless hell that the outward appearance, it it comes because you can't feel pain. The the body's warning system of pain has been numbed. It's no longer working. And and so the the scabs and, and and the deformities come from being near a fire, touching a hot stove and not knowing it's hot or you're touching it because you simply cannot feel it. And so those grow, and then the bacteria that cause the numbing begins doing the eating away. Josephus, the early Jewish historian, likened uh, leprosy 
to living death. It was a, it was a living death. It was believed during uh, the time of Scripture and all through the Middle Ages up until the 19th century that it was highly contagious just by being near someone who had it. And, and we've learned that it's not the case, that it actually requires uh, consistent and constant contact with a person who has it. And, and you can be near someone with leprosy and not know it because it's not showing on the outside, right? It's, it's slowly growing. It's numbing nerves first. And so that's where the contact comes in and allows it to spread. Now, in Israel, in Scripture... We're told in the Old Testament that lepers are unclean, that, that leprosy itself is God's judgment on the person for sin in their life. That's, that's how they understood leprosy and God working in their lives during this time. And so uh, in Deuteronomy, the law is there that they had to go and live outside of the camp, outside of the town. And then there became the rules of how close you could come actually to another person. And it depended on the wind. So if the other person is downwind from you, if you have leprosy and someone's downwind, you need to be a hundred cubits away. But if the person is upwind from you, you're downwind from them, you only have to be four cubits. And here we thought over the last year that trying to figure out six feet of social distancing and when and where to wear masks was difficult. Imagine trying to determine 100 cubits versus four. Which way is the wind blowing? Right? Then you get, start getting people all around. It, it, it can be quite the conundrum that you fall into. And then they were also required, if they started getting near someone, they had to cover the top lip and go shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. Because then if they made someone else unclean, or if someone became unclean by getting near them, they were ceremonially unclean, had to go to the priest and go for a cleansing before they could go to temple and make offerings again. So lepers were isolated. And they were alone. They were rejected by the world. Already judged. In the Middle Ages, in Europe, when someone had leprosy, they moved them outside of the towns and the villages, and they had a funeral for the person and went ahead and gave away their inheritance. They were the living dead. And yet, our story today, this encounter of a leper and Jesus, while there's so much to learn from it, here in Mark, at the beginning of his writing, it serves as a living parable of the gospel. The gospel at its very core. Because like leprosy, sin is a slow-growing disease. It's like going to the pool in Florida in February. You dip your toes in, find out if it's warm or not, just a little bit. Then maybe just a little bit more. And then you think, maybe, you know, no one's going to know for a while, right? 
No one knew he had leprosy for a while. No one's going to know about these sins for a while. I can keep them hush-hush. And then we, we get to the point where we're, we're full in the sin. And we still think nobody knows because we think we're really good at hiding the darkness of our souls. And eventually, we become numb to it. Just becomes part of who we are. It's the sin is no longer painful. In fact, it becomes easier and easier, and it's and it's normalized for us. And it's normalized because we believe the lies sin tells us. And it's until we see the decay happening in our lives, it's until we know the depths of our sin and that our, our nature is sinful itself, until we come to that full eye-opening conclusion in our heart of hearts, we're walking around with living death. Paul you know, he writes about sin this way. He says that we are, in fact, dead in our sins and trespasses. Much like the lepers were treated. And it's Paul who also writes, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us escapes the disease of sin. It's in our very nature. It's at the very core of who we are. It's why we need a Savior to begin with. Sin tells us lies. And it tells us two opposite lies that sometimes seem like they're in competition, but at other times we're able to rationalize and justify them. The first lie sin tells us that we can believe is that we are, in fact, not sinners. What we are doing is perfectly okay and normal, that there is nothing wrong with us. Even if we know it's wrong, or the sin begins lying to us and saying, no, it's okay. Our, our minds buy into that lie and begin rationalizing and justifying and saying, well, you know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. This, this sin isn't as bad as this sin. And we begin the comparison ladder, right? As if there's a pyramid of sins and one's worse than the other. When Jesus, in fact, lays it all out and says all sins are counted equal. But we buy the lie of the sins. So then we can begin thinking, well, we're not that bad. In fact, we're mostly good, right? We, we like to think of ourselves as the, the, sin, the sin lies to us and says, it's just a little sin. You're mostly good. And so we, we go through life and, and we begin life and, and, and there's some bad and then there's some good. And, and, and our whole life experience is, can we get to the end with more good than bad? Because if I'm more good than bad, then I get in, right? Isn't that how this works? No. No, perfection's the only way in. Mostly good isn't good enough. What folly there is in believing that we are righteous on our own merits. In fact, John, the Apostle John, writes in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. 
and the truth is not in us. See, we, we think we're mostly good. We begin buying the lie that it's just a little sin. We're okay. We can keep doing it. It's no big deal. Others have done worse. I'll be fine in the end, right? I'm doing more good to make up for it. And, and believing this lie, living into this lie, begins to have us treat Jesus either like a genie or an insurance policy. To only use in case of an emergency. Because we're good. We're good on our own. We got this. Mostly. I mean, we can even come to church and think we're good. We, we've got this. You know, the other person over there, sin in their life, they really need to hear this. As if it doesn't apply to us. Or, or the worst expression of it in the Christian faith is that, that we confess that we believe in Jesus. We're, we're baptized, we join a church, and then we stay at home and never go and are never part of the body. The fruit demonstrates the confession and baptism weren't simply true. It's like we treated it as a contract and checked off the boxes and initialed and didn't read the terms and agreements that came with it. Because we treat Jesus like the insurance policy of the day when we need him, he'll be there. But until then, I'm good on my own. I'm mostly good. I'm a good person. I got this. It's the lie sin gets us to believe. The other lie sin tells us, the opposite one is that we may be fully aware of the depths of our sin and how immoral and evil and rebellious it is. And so then sin convinces us, lies to us, and says that we are so bad, we are beyond help. You don't deserve it. Nobody loves you. You're not worth loving. You're not worth being treated properly. You're not worth being kind to. You're not worth having peace. You're not worth experiencing joy. You're not worth love. That's what sin tells us. We think we're beyond help. Oh, but pastor, you don't know me. You don't know my sins. You don't know what I've done. Folks, if there was, you can't, you can't out the cross. For if there was a sin that the cross couldn't forgive, the cross is worthless. How can Jesus forgive me? We buy into that lie and we begin going into a circle of despair. And then sometimes we believe both of them, right? We believe that we are so worthless, unwilling to be loved, but we hide it and we think we can conceal and compartmentalize this dark thing in our life and then pretend going on in the rest of our lives that we're good. We got this on our own. And we do that whole work hard thing to make up for the thing we know can't be forgiven. We believe the little stuff can be forgiven, but this big one isn't. So now we've got to have a trajectory of our life of perfection, of doing more good, of being the best good there is so that we get heaven. And folks, it's simply not true. So we either think we're good, we think there's something seriously wrong with us, that we're so bad, 
that Jesus can't or won't love us and forgive us. Ah, but one leper appeared. He made his way to the feet of Jesus. For he had heard what Jesus was doing in his ministry. He heard of the great miracles and the signs and the wonders Jesus was doing all the way out in the huts that the lepers live in desolate places away from others. He heard the news of Jesus. But he knew he wasn't good because the world had told him he wasn't good. For they could see the decay all on the outside of his body. But pragmatically, he thought, he, he, he goes... If anyone could heal me, it would be Jesus. So he appears, humbles himself at the feet of Jesus, and if you will, you can make me clean. This was his plea to Jesus. His, this was his cry to Jesus. Now we stand on this side of the cross with his word at our fingertips. And so we know how the story goes. And so we know that the Lord is willing to make us clean, to heal us from our sin, and to bring us into life. And so our cry isn't the same cry as the lepers when we realize the depth of our sin and our sinful nature. But we cry out, since you are willing, Wash me now, Lord. Wash me now. And right here, in this encounter with the leper and Jesus, from the leper's cry, we then see and hear the Lord's answer. He was moved. He touched the leper and he spoke to him. Our Savior has compassion for you. He is moved to compassion by your sin. He does more than understand our condition of sin, for he took on the full weight of it on the cross for you. And you know what? He's also not afraid to touch you, to touch your heart, to be near you. For it may have been years since this leper who came to Jesus had experienced human touch. And Jesus touches him. And he touches our hearts because he demonstrates his witness to us. For he is Emmanuel, God with us. Not God at a distance. Not God a hundred cubits away. Not God socially distanced. But God with us. Jesus here with us now. Touching our heart. Living inside of us with the power of the Holy Spirit. He is not afraid of us. He is not worried that we will make him unclean. 
And so here, this tiny little story in Mark of the leper and Jesus, we get the parable of the gospel. That the good news is that despite our sinful nature, God so loved the world, including you, including you, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved, that you might be saved, healed, cleansed through him. Amen.